Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Friends, uh, during these summer months, I'm going to do here is we have a four-part podcast series. So over the next uh, four weeks, we're going to be looking at the first four chapters of the book of Genesis. I thought this would be a fun way. We haven't done a lot of Bible studies lately on the podcast. and thought this might be a really interesting way for us to just get a sense of what, um, how the Bible begins, and and there, all these stories tell us so much about what it means to be human and who God created us to be, and the human predicament that we all live with every day. Coming this fall, we're going to be emphasizing the Bible a lot. Our confirmation students are entering into their year of the Bible, and we're going to have that also kind of be connected with some of our elementary ministry and some of our um, adult classes as well. So I thought it would be fun to begin, you have these podcasts uh, ready and out there, have you already thinking about some of the themes of Scripture. One of the things I want to mention today, we're looking at Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to include in the show notes just a link to a podcast I did about a year ago that is a um, scripture meditation on Genesis chapter 1. So that's just like a nice little um, addition. This is a very uh, dense academic Bible study that I do hope you enjoy. But also know that we have these previous podcasts and and the scripture meditation is a great way to just um, understand and immerse yourself in this story and, and to hear it kind of creatively told in a quiet, meditative way. It's a great thing um, if you're trying to fall asleep at night. My daughter, Miriam, listens to some of those scripture meditations almost every night. Uh, so I entrust that to you as well. So that there's a link in the show notes to that specific episode. Uh, but now, let's move along to a um, Bible study on Genesis chapter 1, the first of the creation stories within the scripture. Hey everyone, we are going to be looking at a Bible story this week. This is from Genesis chapter 1. We're starting at the very beginning, and I adore this particular passage of Scripture. Genesis 1 is so deep and so rich, and there's just so much in this particular passage. And I'm sure you know the details of it before, but I'm guessing there's going to be some pieces here that you haven't thought about. Because that's that's why I love studying the Bible is because there's always seems to be something more to discover about who God is for us, who God is calling us to be. And certainly this story is one of those stories where there's just so much gold to mine, as they might say. Uh, and this is going to be part of a series. We're going to be looking at the first several books of the Bible, or the first several chapters of Genesis, I should say, just to um, kind of ground us. So I haven't done this before, but I thought it would be a fun little series for our, the summer months where we listen to these first four chapters of the book of Genesis that really sets the stage for everything that is to come. You you have to have the creation story, but then you also have to have uh, what comes after that. And it helps us understand this beginning piece of who we are, of who, where God's story begins, and what happens shortly after humanity is created. Um, then we go on from there. We're not going to go all the way through the book of Genesis because it's super long. Uh, but the first four chapters, I think, are an awesome grounding. And it'll just be a fun little thing to explore this summer to think about who has God created us to be and what does it mean to be human? Uh, what does the do these first stories in Genesis tell us about the human predicament? 
That was way more preamble than I wanted to give. So we're going to move right along looking at Genesis chapter 1. And and here's what you need to know as well. Here's what's really fascinating is that in the beginning of our Bibles, the first story of how God created the heavens and the earth, that goes from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the first couple of verses of chapter 2. Why they didn't just put it all in chapter 1, I do not know, but this is the way that it's broken up. So we're actually going to go all the way through the whole first creation story. Um, I'm saying it's the first creation story because in Genesis chapter 2, there's another story about how God created the heavens and the earth. No, really, there's two different versions. Both of them are significant. Both of them are unique. Um, Scholars believe that there were likely two different schools of thought um, that had their own stories and that that's why we end up with two of them. So you you could have had, I'm trying to remember exactly the name, the... I shouldn't mention the names because I can't remember exactly how the scholars term them. I'll have that for you at the next podcast, I promise. Um, But let's get started. Genesis chapter 1. Here we go. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. And darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. That probably sounded familiar. Oh, but there is so much in here. This is what gets really exciting. So one of the things that I just think is so bananas awesome is the way that they describe in the beginning. Listen to this just again. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters, and then God said, let there be light. All right, we're just going to stop there. So we hear about God the creator, right? In the beginning when God created, that's part one, God the creator. And then we also hear about a wind from God, or in other translations, it says the spirit of God. Oh, so God is a creator, and God is a spirit. And then in verse three, God says, let there be light. So God is also a word. In our Christian tradition, we often talk about God as the creator and as the spirit. And then we speak about God, the son, Jesus, as the word made flesh. So right there in our first three verses of the book of Genesis, we hear about a God who is three and yet one. God who has three unique characteristics and yet how somehow all of that is a part of the creation of the world. The Trinity is right there in those first three verses. Isn't that cool? I think that's really cool. The other thing that I think is just awesome is that it mentions water. The, the spirit of God swept over the face of the waters. Wait a second. God hasn't created anything yet. And there's water there, you're telling me? How in the world does that work? And yet science will tell us that water is eternal. This blew my mind when I finally put it together. I learned about the water cycle when I was in fifth grade science class. And yet somehow it never clicked for me. So there's a water cycle that has condensation and evaporation and it all just kind of goes around and around and around. And so that means that water is infinite, that we never have more water or less water. We always have the same amount of water constantly in circulation in all of creation. And we're here in this Genesis story written thousands of years ago about the eternal nature of water. 
That somehow water was present with God before God even created anything. So I think it's so beautiful that we as Christians have attached some real mystical, sacred significance to water. We use it at baptism and we talk about how it unites us with God in some way that we can't fully understand. Yeah, because water is eternal, because water's been around. Water is infinite and has been a part and with God since before creation even began. It makes so much, it connects so many amazing dots when you think about it in that way. And I just love that, yeah, it has so much significance for us personally. It's so much of our body. Uh, It's so much of our health and well-being. It's so much of our earth and our planet. And yet we hear that it is something that has this intimate connection with God as well. I could do a whole Bible story on water, a Bible study on water. I have before. I don't think I've recorded it as a podcast, but maybe that'll come in the future sometime. But I can't read the Genesis 1 story without going on this lifelong rant about how amazing water is and how spiritually significant it is. And I'm guessing you feel it too. You might be listening to this podcast while you're off at the lake this summer or looking out at the ocean and you know what I'm talking about. So when you sit before a large body of water, it touches your soul in some way that you can't fully understand or explain. And maybe that's because water is somehow putting us in touch with the infinite nature of our loving God who created all of it. Fascinating. All right. So there's even more here in these first five verses. Um, What we hear about is how God separates the light from the darkness. God creates light and darkness, and then God separates the two. You're going to notice that that's a common theme within the way that this Genesis 1 story is written. At first, God separates. And the other piece, um, just to mention here, that I think is really interesting, is that the Hebrew word um, for created that is used here in Genesis 1 is barah. God created, God barah. And, and this is a very unique word for creating. It's not simply making something out of something else. In fact, in Genesis 2, the Hebrew word that will be used at a certain point is asa, which is, about, uh, which is more about like a potter who builds from elements. But bara is this sense of creating out of nothing. And that is significant, right? That is a, a part of the nature of God that we hold sacred and dear is that God created this entire world out of nothingness. It's also just interesting to note in the way that we chronologically think about all this is that God creates light. But this is actually before the sun or the stars exist, according to the poem. Somehow light comes first. And so that also gives us a sense of something mystical, something spiritual, something important about the light that exists. And, and science will tell us that light is this fascinating phenomenon as well. Uh, I mean, I don't even understand the half of it, but the nature of light is very strange and does not fit within Newtonian physics whatsoever. Uh, and so it really makes sense, again, putting this together with the Genesis story, that Genesis is kind of telling us, like, you know, there was, there was light before there was darkness, before there was a sun or a moon. There was some sort of element of creation that God put into motion called light. Anyways, there's so much more we could dive onto it, but I got, we're already like 10 minutes into this podcast. Oh my gosh. Let's move along uh, to find out what happens on day two. This is starting at verse six. And God said, let there be a dome 
in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. And God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So notice again that God is separating the waters above from the waters below. And who knows where the water came from? It's always been there, but God separated it out. And, and that, that sticks with the water cycle we've been talking about. You've got the clouds up above full of water that has evaporated up. And then there will be, hopefully, because we really need the um, we really need the rain around here in Colorado, right? Some perspiration. That's the, the separation that we already see here. And, and what's also interesting that I didn't mention on day one, but we hear the same rhythm for all the days is it says there was evening and there was morning. Now, in our day and age, we often think of days starting in the morning and ending in evening, but that's not so in this Genesis poem, in this Genesis 1 poem that we have. It is the evening first and then the morning. And so our our Jewish friends, you'll know that their Sabbath begins on Friday evening, and goes through. This is part of how they mark time within the Jewish faith is that the day begins in the evening and then there's morning. And that's based upon the way that it's written about how God created evening first and then morning. It's a really interesting and new way of kind of looking at it as well. Um, I'm working on writing some music and a song and I have the lyrics in there about how when evening draws in, creation begins again. And I think that you, you can sense that too. When you're looking at a sunset in that contemplative hour of the evening, there's something sacred and holy about it. And it's it doesn't feel always like an ending. It feels like the potential for a new beginning. Um, maybe that's just me, but that's often how I've experienced it. And, and frankly, within our Christian tradition, there's something called the liturgy of the hours where they say prayers. This is often used in monasteries. And so the monks will rise to say prayers at seven different points throughout the day. And they often speak of the evening time, the Vespers moment, as having this connection with new creation. Yes, it's a time to look back and review the day, but it's also a, a potential for knowing that something new is about to be birthed as the day, as evening moves into night and into morning again. All of it based around what we see originally here in Genesis 1. This is where the tradition began with looking at God as the creator who created in the evening and then morning the first day, the second day. You get the idea. But let's move along to the third day, shall we? This is verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called sea, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So the third day is again a separation in a sense. God is kind of it, apparently at this point in creation, there was just water above and water below. And now God has gathered the waters together, separating it from the dry land, thus creating land and sea. 
And we see the first signs of life as well, vegetation springing forth upon the dry land. Okay, moving along now. I want to, there's so much to say, and so I need to be efficient with this. Let's move along to day four and see what happens. This is verse 14. And God said, let there be lights under the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. What's really interesting here is the mention and the detail that it gives us about the lights that God puts into the sky. And it talks about how these lights were put there to be signs for them and for the seasons. You have to remember whenever this poem was written thousands upon thousands of years ago, the, the way that people would structure their life was a, by looking at the stars. They, they didn't have the calendar app on their phone. And so they would look to the sky to mark the seasons, to mark the days, to mark the passage of time. And within the Jewish religion, seasons are essentially important. There's this real sense of living within the rhythms of life that God has set in motion. And so that's so much. That's why we still have liturgical seasons within the church, because we're invited to experience our relationship with God in a rhythm, in a way that repeats, but that also invites newness over the course of time. And so our liturgical seasons or the seasons of the year, um, you know, the, the seasonal holidays that our Jewish brothers and sisters celebrate, all of that is based upon this movement of time that originally was marked by the movement of the stars in the sky. And so it's saying here in this fourth day that God created these rhythms of our life, that there is something holy and sacred and important about watching and marking the passage of time and about participating in different activities or different celebrations uh, at different moments throughout the year. I think that's what's so special. I mean, we always feel it around Christmas time uh, because our, you know, our culture does Christmas really well, um, maybe a little overblown, but there's a real season to it. You know, it, there's a real feel to the time of year that is Christmas. There's, there's even flavors. You can't get a peppermint mocha at Starbucks until Christmas is rolling around. At gingerbread latte, same thing. You got to wait for the Christmas season to come about. And then there's the song and the music on the radio, and it has this real special feel to it, partially because it only happens for one month, and it's starting to become more like two months of the year. But you get the idea. That's what's sacred about looking and marking the seasons, and our church seasons allow us that, this opportunity to understand our relationship with God a little bit differently at different points throughout the year, uh, to just explore different avenues of connecting with God, connecting and serving our neighbor. I think it's really good. And again, what this, this Genesis 1 tells us is that, yeah, that's, in, that's the way that God designed it. God wants us to mark the seasons and, and to observe the movement of time and to live a little bit differently this month than we do next month. Um, you, you get the idea. So I, I, this is my encouragement to all of you. I love 
the seasons. Um, and there's a whole that that should be a podcast. I've got a whole bunch of details about how I like to mark time, and I've really created this whole like separate calendar for myself um, that that helps me move through the year with great intentionality and purpose. Different things for different months. Um, but yeah, I think that that's part of what God is inviting us into, what the church seasons invite us into as well. All right, we got to move along. Um, day five is starting at verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the air. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So now the fourth day is kind of that turning point. And, and the fifth day, notice what God is now doing is God is starting to fill in. in. In fact, that started on the fourth day. God started to fill in what had been separated. So first God separates the light from the darkness. God separates the waters above from the waters below. God separates um, the seas from the dry land. And now God is filling in. On day four, God fills in the sky with great lights that help us mark the seasons. And now in day five, God is filling in the seas above, the dome above and the dome waters below. And notice there's a rhythm to it as well. Day four fills in what happened on day one. And day five fills in what was separated on day two. I have a hunch that what God is going to fill in on day six is going to be filling in what God had separated on day three. Would you like to find out? I'd like to find out. Let's check it out. Here we go. Day six starts at verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruits. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, so a lot, God had a lot to do on the sixth day. But going back to what I said earlier, notice that the sixth day fills in what was separated on the third day. On the third day, the sea was separated from the dry land, and now God is filling in that dry land with every creature and with humankind to have dominion over the wild animals and the cattle and everything else. 
You see, this is a really interesting way of understanding how God has put creation into motion. And notice all throughout, God is constantly calling things good. And, and at the end, God looks back and calls it very good. But I think that's significant too, because God never calls it perfect. Because if it was perfect, it would be static. Perfect means that it cannot be approved upon, that there will be no changes, that it'll just be as it will be, because it can't be improved. But God calls creation good. And I think that that's so valuable. It reminds us that creation is dynamic, that creation is continuing, that God left room for there to be even improvement upon this, you know, that God would continue to, to make changes. God would continue to create and that's really valuable. I mean, as we read through all of scripture, it really seems that, yeah, God does kind of make some changes and some edits. And of course, by God sending Jesus, that's a huge change in the movements of history. That's because creation wasn't perfect. It was good. It was very good. And God knew that there could be even more. And so that gives me great calm as well to remember that God calls me good. I'm not perfect. And that's okay, but God and I together are going to keep working on this thing called life. That, that there will continue to be ways that I can grow and change and transform. And I think that's what religion really invites us into, is into a life of change and transformation, of growing in our connection with God and in our service to our neighbor. That, that maybe we're doing it good right now, but that there's always room for improvement. I really appreciate that. Um, and actually think there's a lot of grace in it too, because it's also like, yeah, you, you also don't have to be perfect. You know, at times you're just going to be good. Um, and that's okay too, that God has grace and room for you within that. Um, but here's the other piece um, that I want to highlight based upon um, w what we just read there in day six. It's again, not just the filling in and God saying that it's good, um, you know, leaving room for further creativity but also in the way that it describes how God created humanity. God created humankind in God's image. There's a theological phrase called the Imagio Dei that really lives into this um, to remind us that we are created in the image of God. You've probably heard pastors or people say that before, um, but that's so essential. Um, that also creates amount of grace, graciousness for us to, to remind us that even when we make mistakes, even when we feel we messed up, um, that we're still holy and created in God's image, that there's still something sacred about us. And hopefully also it invites us to see our neighbors or those we disagree with or those who really press our buttons. You, you have a person you're thinking about right now, <laughs> but it allows us to see that person as, yeah, also created in the image of God. There is a flicker of the sacred, of the divine within each of us. And our call is to honor that as best we can. And I know it's not always easy to honor that in someone else, that imagio Dei that lives in the person that you just can't stand. Um, and it's not always easy to honor that within ourselves. We often forget and lose sight. We focus so much on our flaws that we forget that there is a part of the divine within us. It says it right there in the scripture. We are created in the image of God. And what else is really cool about this is that, as I described in the beginning, God is three and yet one. God is the creator, 
and God is the spirit hovering over the waters, and God is the word that was spoken that caused creation to spring forth. God is different and yet the same. And we are created in that image. We are different and yet the same. And so there's a real honoring of the great diversity that is humanity. We are a vastly diverse um, species. And that's good. And yet we all, in our great diversity, vastness of expression of what it means to be human, we all carry this spark of the divine. Different and yet the same, just as God is three and yet one. Woo! This is good stuff. This I'm glad they put this in the Bible because it seems really important. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the other cool thing to note um, is that God is a community. God is three and yet one. God is a community, right? A community is a collection of people and yet one. And so I always like to point to this um, story for just the, the this real example of how sacred and important community actually is. And don't we know that after this pandemic and all of these lockdowns that we lived through when we couldn't be together with other people, you felt something in your soul that was incomplete because we're created in the image of God. We're created for community. We're created to be together. And we need to honor in that and make room for that and recognize that that's a part of who God is. God is a community, three and yet one. We are created in that image. We are designed to be in community with one another. Wow, this is so good. Oh my gosh. All right, hang on. Um, moving along. There's a seventh day. Did you know that? This is now chapter two. Uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that had been done and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So yeah, um, God rested on the seventh day and that means you can too. Uh, you have permission. In in fact, it's a, a part of caring for your soul. It's a part of honoring God. It's a part of worshiping God is resting. You are not a machine. Did you know that? <laughs> are you actually living in a way that, that suggests that you know that you're not a machine? Machines are always running. And God says, no, like God's going to rest and, and we're called to rest as well. You think about this particular story and how important it must have been for the Jewish people when they had escaped slavery in Egypt. Because when they were in Egypt, they were just machines. When you're a slave, you work seven days a week without rest. And your slave driver makes sure that you aren't slacking. And so for hundreds of years, that was the reality for the Israelite people. They were just machines. And so how important it was for them once they escaped slavery and could establish themselves as God's chosen people, as the Israelites who had this sacred story of how God created the heavens and the earth to point and to say, yeah, God created and rested on the seventh day. And so we will too, because we're not machines, because we're not slaves in Egypt anymore. We are God's free chosen people and we create and we rest. And there's really something beautiful about the fact that like God takes delight 
in what was created. That's part of the rhythm that we were designed for as well, is to create something, but then to enjoy it. Within Judaism, I think there's something like 365 laws that govern the Sabbath. But you, you hear that and you think, oh my gosh, that sounds so restrictive. Some of them might be, but some of these laws are, are more about finding a way to, to, um, to create a mitzvah, it's called, a, a blessing out of the day. And so, for example, it is a mitzvah to sit and watch a sunset on the Sabbath. It is a blessing. It is a way to honor God and to experience the fullness of your creation and your humanity is to simply enjoy a sunset on the Sabbath day, to rest in such a way that you are just appreciating creation. There's so much we could say about Sabbath because it is such a beautiful concept, such a gift. That's the thing we lose sight of too, is we just think like, oh my gosh, like God created and commanded this. And then we got it in the 10 commandments, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it feels overwhelming, but the truth is, no, no, it's a gift that you're invited to enjoy, to take time. I took a class in college on Judaism and my professor was a practicing conservative Jew. And I remember him telling us, he's like, when I was in graduate school studying to get my PhD, it was so much work. He worked so hard, like readings and papers, and it was just intense. But then he always honored the Sabbath. And that meant he did not do any of his schoolwork, any of his studies on, for him, Saturday, because that's the Jewish Sabbath day. And he told us, he's like, it was such a gift for me. He's like, I, I definitely could have thought of more things I could have done, but by honoring that, it just allowed me uh, the energy I needed. It, it created the energy I needed to then do it again six, the next six days. It, and it was such a gift to just break out of the monotony and the grind. Uh, yeah, that's what God wants for you too. You you can take a Sabbath. I hope you're taking a, some sort of Sabbath right now, right? right? A vacation is a form of Sabbath of just breaking out of the norm and taking a deep breath and enjoying what you've created what God has given to you and God has created as well. Okay, so here's some other little fun pieces to all of this. That's like the general sense of it. But in these last few minutes, I also just want you to see um, how amazing this first chapter of Genesis is. Because what, what you don't hear as well in the English translation it is the rhythm to all of this. This this Genesis 1 is very much, I've, I've referred to it as a poem, because um, it is. It's designed with a rhythm, with repeating phrases, um, with a whole bunch of numeric significance, all a part of this. So, for example, um, as we've already talked about, right, day 4 is God filling in what was separated on day 1, and day 5 is God filling in what was separated on day 2, and day 6 is God filling in what was separated on day 3. And so it, right, you're already seeing there's a structure to this and that there was so much care in writing this down that, that it was probably, you know, and, and in fact, that it's, it was divinely inspired. That, that the only way that it could work like this so perfectly, so elegantly is because God helped to author it. Let me give you some more examples. So I, I mentioned, right, barah is that Hebrew word for created. And, and the, the phrase Elohim barah, God created, occurs three times in this passage we just read. 
the phrase God separates also occurs three times. In verse 1, God creates and the spirits move over the water and then God speaks. As we've talked about, God is three and yet one in this particular poem. All right, so there's lots of threes, and we know that three is a very significant, very holy number. You know what else is a very holy number? Seven. Within Judaism, seven is the sign of completeness. And so whenever you hear that, you know, if something happens seven times, it's a sense of, yeah, completeness, fullness. There are seven Hebrew words in verse one. Um, There are 14 Hebrew words in verse two. The word earth occurs 21 times in the passage. The word God appears 35 times in the passage. The phrase, it was so, occurs seven times. The phrase, God saw, occurs seven times as well. And so if you weren't doing the factors there, right? 14 is seven times two, 21 is seven times three, 35 is seven times five. Lots and lots of sevens. Okay, so if there's lots of threes and there's lots of sevens, are there any tens? Obvious next question. Of course, to make occurs ten times within the passage. According to their kinds occurs ten times within the passage. And God said occurs ten times. Three times, God says, in relation to people. Seven times, God says, in relation to creatures. Let there be occurs 10 times in the passage, three times in relation to things in heaven, seven times in relation to things on earth. Fascinating. Of course, the 10 commandments, three of those 10 commandments are in relation to God and how we can honor God. And seven of those commandments are in relation to how we can honor one another. Those threes and those sevens, all of it, it, again, just leads me to believe that there is something so sacred, so holy, so mysterious about this particular collection of words, this story that we tell about how God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that that is where I'm going to leave us. There is probably even more that I could say, but that's plenty for one day on looking at this Genesis um, chapter one poem. Join us for the next podcast when we're going to look at Genesis chapter two, a different creation story with some very interesting elements and changes to what's emphasized. I really hope you enjoyed this. And and more than anything, right, we read the Bible so that it can connect us with God and so that it can connect us with what it means to be human, um, right? Who God created us to be who God's calling us to be in this day and age. And so reading through this, I hope it gave you some new insights about, yeah, how you can rest and create, how you can appreciate the vast diversity of humanity and yet the great unity of it, how you can see community as something essential, something that's a part of God's character and a part of who you were designed for and to be. Um, all of it, so much more. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Thanks for sharing this with friends and family and others. I uh, really hope it keeps you connected to your faith during these summer months when you might not be able to uh, be in church with us. But as always, friends, thanks for listening. Stay in peace. <laughs>